I want to wrap up this area of the sixth area for supernatural increase, and this, of course, is believing. Say it with me. I walk in truth. I am faithful. I am diligent. I'm a tither. I'm a sower. And I'm a believing believer. How many know those six things will carry you a long way? But in talking about this uh, sixth factor, we're talking about believing in the revelation that believing is actually doing. And that just simply means that uh, we really only believe the things that we're actually doing. We can profess all day long uh, what we say we believe, but if we're not actually walking in that, it just means we don't really believe it. Uh, say it with me, I believe, and I do. I do because I believe. You know, uh, it's not uncommon for even churches and denominations to say that they believe things, and then over time they stop practicing those things. Uh, how many understand that the early church all started out as a Pentecostal church? Would you agree with that statement? Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke in tongues as what? The Spirit gave them utterance. But over time, people began to intellectualize the concepts of Scripture and begin to separate by doctrine and dogma and oftentimes along these lines of what they believed about the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural. Out of that came the birth of a movement called secessionism where basically all the things that are supernatural have passed away. If you get anything good in this life, it's because of people like medical doctors instead of God touching you and healing you. There's that provision. But how many are glad that the Holy Ghost has not passed away? See, to say these things have passed away, you'd have to say that the third member of the Trinity doesn't exist anymore. Because the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. You and I know it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. The common denominator is the Holy Spirit. Uh, so over time, people drift away from the things they say they profess and they believe. And so, you know, by the time you get into, uh, you know, the late 1800s, worldwide, except for some small pockets. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is what? It's virtually non-existent. I mean, there was a dark ages, but a dark ages also theologically where the Spirit of God just was not allowed to do what he wants to do, what God intended him for do, to do. But, um, you know, a, a mighty woman of God, everybody say, this old woman of God, pressed in, believed God. God baptized her in the Holy Ghost and spread from, from Kansas, spread out to, uh, you know, L.A. and then around the world. And the last I heard, there are about 21, 22 million Brazilian Assemblies of God members right now. Stemming from what? From that person's reception of what God said. Now, historically, uh, we're tied to the Methodist Church. Everybody say, God bless the Methodists. Some of you didn't realize that. <laughs> In fact, uh, an awful lot of people that gathered together that formed the, the assemblies out of a desire to reach the world with the gospel, uh, they were people who were Methodists but were being or receiving or open to the things of the Spirit. And they gathered together and they wanted to, you know, uh, organize so they could reach the world. But they were Spirit-filled, born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, excited for God. So you can see that we're all connected. We're connected to Luther by justification by faith. Can you see this? Uh, we're connected to the Methodist by shared experience. But what happens over time is people stop believing things. And the demonstration that they don't believe them is, of course, they're not doing those things. You tonight can say all day long, you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You believe in tongues. But if you're not using your prayer language, you don't really believe in it. You don't believe that it has any efficacy for you today, any impact for your life. And so it didn't take long at all for this to become reality, even within churches that are classical Pentecostal churches. You know, 20 years ago, uh, really more like uh, 1999, 2000, I actually did a research project on what percentage of people in the Sims of God were actually receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And out of 100 converts, only about 13, 14 of them were. It's even lower today. Not in this church. Amen. Uh, there's just so many streams, so many ways for you to be exposed, you know, to these things, you know, including the pulpit. But I just want to point out to you that on paper, uh, 
Just like many spirit-filled charismatic churches, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what does it say that only 13, 14% of the adults are actually receiving? Do we really believe in this? I mean, how many believe that uh, absent from the body, present of the Lord? How many will pray for me tomorrow as I do a funeral? You got a very unusual assignment from the Lord to talk about theology of death in a funeral. But I want to just kind of put this across your, your heart tonight. Raise your hand if you believe absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay. We're on the same page today? <laughs> um, do you really believe that? Do you really believe he's coming back? Do you really believe in a resurrection from the dead? Do you believe in a rapture? Okay. Then how is it that 99% of the time when somebody dies, we immediately begin to speak of them in the past tense? From the pulpit to the pew, there's this tension between the heart and the mind. What the word says and what our experience is telling us. See, when your loved one uh, died and uh, went to heaven, they're not lost. Raise your hand if you have somebody you love dearly that's in heaven. They're not lost. They just moved. But how many times do we have this conflict and out of our mouth comes, uh, they used to be a great teacher, they were this, they used to be that. And I began to ask myself, you know, do you really want me to go down that path? I think the Lord is interested in the church being healthy in its theology, not for when the rapture happens or when the resurrection happens. How do you understand? You can't stop that. That's going to happen. But this sliver between when somebody departs this life and those events happen, that's where some of the bad theology and thinking is. And people would be much more encouraged if they understood and had a revelation of these things, not just a little bit of head knowledge, but deep conviction to believe. Um, that loved one that went on to be with the Lord, they've never been more alive. Amen. And this isn't exactly my message, but if it's ministering to you, then praise the Lord. Amen. How I many all the word of God, all the counsel of God will build us up and encourage this? How many believe absent from the body, present with the Lord? How many believe it's appointed to man to die once? That doesn't mean the time. It means the appointment with death is inevitable if you're not carried out by rapture. It's appointed to man to die once. And then the judgment. Well, Pastor, I thought there was a later judgment. Not for you. There is a judgment regarding rewards, but not re judgment for eternity. When you leave this life, judgment of your eternity is instant. You're either going to be with the Lord or you're not. But look at somebody say, I'm in the Overcomers Club, so I'm going. Thank you very much. I'm. <laughs> huh? So that's why what Paul says about absent from the body, and that's why the, the teaching of it's appointed to man once, they're not in conflict with each other because. Even though you don't have a glorified body yet, your eternity is settled quickly. The rewards of the believer, that comes later. Does that make sense? So you're not asleep when you're dead. Why? Wow, the firstborn from the dead is not asleep. So we're not going to have a different experience than he had. More importantly, when you look at things like the transfiguration, what do you see? You don't see Moses was. Elijah used to be. Moses is. And Elijah is. Jesus told the Sadducees who did not believe in a resurrection from the dead, he's the God of the living, not the dead. You're very much mistaken. That's the only place I can find in Scripture where Jesus added a rebuke to a rebuke. Basically, you're ignorant not knowing what the Word teaches about these things. You see this tonight. And even in the Old Testament, even as wicked as Saul became King Saul, he still believed in the existence of those that have gone from this life into the next. And how many know he was no giant of faith? 
And yet he believed. He wanted to see this prophet. He needed some information. He believed that this person existed beyond the grave. He wasn't the only one. When David, that son, was killed, that David, Bathsheba had in illegitimate fashion, died, David gets up and basically his attitude is, I can't bring him back, but I'll go to him. I'll go to what? He didn't say the baby used to be. I'm just pointing this out to you because all of us need our minds seriously renewed. Because you'll never hear more religion than in 15 minutes in a funeral. I stepped in one time and I heard a guy talking about Psalm 91, a distant uh, you know, relative to a member of this church. And they got to Psalm 91 and thought, this is going to be great. Psalm 91, the funeral, praise the Lord. And they talk about Psalm 91 is all for people that are on the other side. And I'm thinking, no, Psalm 91 is for the people that are on this side. Psalm 23 is for people where? On this side, except for the very last verse. And I will what? <laughs> Do you see this? So I'm just trying to press upon you that just because something's in a code, in a denominational handbook, written on the wall in a mission statement, doesn't mean we actually believe it. If we really believed, absent from the body, present from the Lord, we would never talk about somebody in the past tense. Thank you for your enthusiasm over this revelation. Why do we do that? Religious habit and the struggle between the heart and the head. That's a situation where we really do got to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help thou, what? Mine, unbelief. So we have a doctrine of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. With anywhere from 10 to 12 to 13 percent of the adults only receiving something we what? We believe. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, Lord, help us in our unbelief. Amen. So I want you to go back to James with me. I just wanted to kind of challenge you that if we're going to believe something, let's do it. Come on, say it with me. Let's do it. Let's do what we believe. And by the way, when you start talking about uh, those that have gone on to heaven as though they're alive, they're going to look at you very strangely. Because in the average Christian's mind, they're gone. They hope they're on the other side, but they're gone. In their, in their heart of hearts, they're somewhere that they can't touch, can't comprehend. So, thank you, Lord. It's all real. Yes. Jesus is real. Resurrection is real. Amen. Second coming is real. The new Jerusalem is real. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In the scripture in, in James, I want to go back to chapter 1 for a minute, verse 22. The word says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Prove yourselves obedient to the word. Wayman says, Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, shout that out, doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. They'll find blessing in the very act of obedience. How many like to be blessed every day of your life? Just do the word every day of your life and you'll be blessed in the things that you do. We've talked about how hearing without doing causes deception in our lives. We hear, 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 but do little, it's going to engender deception. The Word of God's supposed to bring truth and understanding and integrity to our lives, but if we don't do what we hear, it's not producing, you know, things that are transparent, honest, and true. It's producing deception in our lives. Hearing without doing makes us forget what we've already heard. Hearing without doing blocks the blessing. I mean, you hear know enough about the blessing, you don't want to block in your life. Amen. I mean, it's too good to be blocked. Hearing without doing indicates a dead, lifeless, and fruitless faith. Faith without works is? It's dead. It's lifeless. It's non-producing. It's incapable of reproducing in our lives. It's a critical thing to understand that. So we talked about four steps to being a doer. First of all, you look intently into the perfect law that gives liberty. And intently means with earnest and eager attention. We look at that. Number two, we continue over time to look into it. 
You're not going to get any brownie points or a special merit badge because you got excited about the Word for a week and then went back to your normal habit of not paying attention to what God said. You continue over time to look intently into the Word. Then you remember what you actually have heard. You maintain active revelation. You know, when you hear yourself thinking or talking or behaving contrary to a revelation you previously said you had and understood, that's a warning sign to you to get back on the Word of God, to go back to the Scriptures, go back to the teachings and remind yourself of the things that you actually believe. And then fourth, what you look intently into and continue in and remember, we do it. We put it into practice, the things we have heard in an ongoing and consistent way. And the promise of James is that we'll be blessed in what we do. Everybody in this room can live blessed every single day. By just doing the things they know to do, by just obeying the Lord and, and the leadership of the Spirit of God moment by moment, you can be blessed every single day. How about that? Every day a blessing. Amen. I believe that God can overload you every day with blessing, with empowerment. So I want you to continue reading with me in uh, verse 26 of James chapter 1. And we're looking at three habits of, of genuine believers. These are folks that actually believe and demonstrate belief by the things that they do. This is a sticking point for Martin Luther. Um, he just could not understand the emphasis on works or doing in the book of James. And if he had his way, James would not be canonized for that reason. Now, how do you understand that even Martin Luther can be wrong? Uh, let me understand James is canonizing for a very good reason. In fact, if you want to know what maturity looks like, study the book of James. That's what maturity in the body of Christ looks like. Thank God it is there. The other thing is uh, the, the overarching revelation on justification by faith kind of made, uh, you know, Luther's theology swing too far in terms of the pendulum to where it was all faith and we don't have to do anything. Well, you're saved by faith. But because you're saved, you what? You do. And what he was saying is if you're really saved, you're going to have the fruit of doing. That's what James is teaching. James is not introducing a parallel teaching, a parallel gospel, a contradictory vision of how somebody gets saved. I mean, how is it possible for somebody so close to Jesus not get the point? I don't believe that for a moment. I believe what he got was that it's not over just because you believe. How many glad that Jesus believed if he came and died for us, we'd be saved? Yes. Aren't you glad Jesus did more than believe that? Yes. So if the agency of salvation required action, right, then we have to have action in response to that agency, which is to get saved. And because we're saved, we actually do things. So someone who claims to be saved and they're a do-nothing, that's not scriptural. That's the same thing we've been talking about. You know, they used to be a good teacher, and they used to be alive, and they, they were this or they were that. Our mind, our heart are in contradiction. We're saying something, but if we really believed in the Lord, if we're really believing in Him as Savior and Redeemer, then it's going to move us to do something. This entire Americanized Western gospel where you get saved and then you sit, that's not scriptural. In fact, I think James would be much more blunt about it if he stood before us and say, you know, this kind of Western Christianity is not Christianity at all. Because when you get saved, what do you do? You do. You're, you're involved, not because it will save you, but because you are saved. You see this? Think of it this way. Um, we, uh, we know that an apple tree does what? It produces an apple, right? It, it, it's not becoming an apple tree because it produces an apple. It's an apple tree. And what does it do? Well, we've been given the new birth. A creature that never existed before. A species, according to the Greek, that never existed before. And that species reproduces after its own kind. It does something. It bears fruit. Just like the apple tree is going to produce apples, the Christian is going to produce Christians and disciples and Touch other people's lives and 
and solve and help alleviate the suffering and the, and the hurts of other people, not just ignore everything like it doesn't matter. So this is where James is coming from and, and giving you these three markers of genuine or authentic belief in Christ that are marked by behavior. You know, the foundation of James is, is critical for this. Uh, these things aren't saving you, but because you're saved, these things will demonstrate or basically prove the faith that's in your heart. Amen. And uh, I won't say these are the only factors, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in the broad stroke that James gives us here about what it means to be authentic, to be genuine. And, you know, he doesn't, um, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? I mean, you know, James is not for somebody who just wants Sunday to go into a meeting twice a year. It's the real deal. In fact, when we teach the book of James, you know, in an expository type of a series, well, we call it things like the marks of maturity or onward to maturity because that's what it's doing. So let's look at these a little bit more tonight. Are you ready to dive into this? Those who consider themselves religious, and by this we're not talking about your Western mindset of religion and return to bondage, but he's talking about authentic believers here and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues to deceive themselves. So who's responsible to keep a tight rein on their mouth? We are. And their religion or their believing is worthless. You might write in your margin there or on a piece of paper, fruitless. It bears nothing. It's a dead faith because their believing is not producing. Uh, you just can't get saved and then just let your mouth do whatever it wants to do. And that is going to produce for you. It's not going to produce for you. Religion or believing that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Hallelujah. So let's look briefly again at that first one. We talked a little bit last uh, week about it. First is control or keeping a tight rein over your mouth. James says you can turn the entire animal with what? That bit in the horse's mouth. In fact, you can turn your entire life around by the things you say. By lining up with the Word of God or in disagreeing with the Word of God, you can either turn your life to victory or you can turn your life to defeat. But I think what he wants to say here is not just about the positive use of your mouth, you know, for your own ends and for your own welfare. It's talking about avoiding the destructive potential in the mouth for other people. Watch this. I can turn my whole life with my mouth, but I can also turn somebody else's life with my mouth. Amen. One word from God can change your life forever, but a word sown the wrong time in somebody's life, either as a child or in a critical phase or stage of their life, can absolutely ruin them until God illumines their mind and heart to what he says about them. Someone in authority. You know, someone tells somebody like Michael Jordan, they'll never make it on the high school basketball team. And what do you do? Now, some people respond to that by saying, I'll show you. But you know what a lot of people do? You're right, I'll never be anything. I'll never do anything. Because somebody who should have said, you can do this, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, should have encouraged them to what? To at least try. What's the harm in trying and failing? It's better than not trying. Our job as influencers at every level of life should be to help people become the best version of themselves. And if you're not careful, you can call somebody the wrong thing at the wrong time. You can trace back the turning of their life into a ditch to something they heard. You know what we should be? We should be the ones lifting people out of the ditch. We should be that person that came across their path at just the right time and season to undo all that harm and all that negativity to say, you know what, you can be what God's called you to be. You can be. You can do the things God has said you could do. You can actually have everything the Bible says you, says you can have. You can actually walk this walk and be blessed and have a life of victory. I may take some renewing of that mind, but that's what you and I are supposed to be. And that's the essence of what, of what uh, you know, James was saying. I mentioned to you that when Ronnie Turcott got on the back of Secretariat during the Preakness, he said on the second turn, I lost control of the horse. And he got faster, and he got faster, and he got faster, and he got faster, and he got faster. People actually thought his heart was going to explode on the backstretch, but he got faster, and he got faster. 
And some say he won between 33 and 35 lengths ahead of the second place horse. That horse, that, that picture is like you and me in our mouth. You turn it loose, it'll get what? Worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And, uh, you know, the scripture compares the, the, the mouth and the tongue, the ability to, to turn a ship or turn a life in a certain way. We want to turn our lives in the right way. But let's be mindful that we have this incredible ability also to influence others. One word. Amen. One powerful word from a grandparent to a child, you know. That's why you want to take your kids and bless them. Say good things about them. Tell them what they can be. And take that on yourself also as a child of God. Now, that adult that you run into at work or that other kid that's not necessarily your kid, they're part of the household of faith, they're part of the church, take the time to bless them. There's nothing restraining you from saying good things about other people in this church. Versus what that little kid talked about on Sunday with the illustration. I mean, it wouldn't be wonderful if all of our names were safe in the mouths of others. Think about the, the revelation of that. To know that, that your name is safe in that person's mouth. And if someone is, is around where your name is not safe in their mouth, you're a challenge to that. You want no part of that. Why is that so important? Because we don't live this life out by ourselves. We don't get where we're going by ourselves. We're never going to accomplish everything God has called us to accomplish doing it ourselves. We need the help and the support and the encouragement of others. But there's going to be some accountability coming these last days for people who had names of people in their mouth and cut other people off from receiving from that person because their mouth was not honored in their presence. You see what I'm saying to you? Their name was not honored in their presence of their mouth. And that could have been a breakthrough thing for somebody. Amen. Oftentimes, once that seed is sown, there's no recovery from that. Amen. They form a stronghold of belief based on that. So turn to somebody and say, keep a tight control and a tight rein over your mouth. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, stop the cussing and the gossiping and complaining and belly aching. You don't want to be the Christian in town known as the belly aching Christian. Amen. All that stuff. Talking about people, talking about people in an ugly way, people where their names aren't safe in your mouth. Say it with me. Look at your chamber and say, your name is safe in my mouth. Come on, say it again. Your name is safe in my mouth. If I'm going to say something about you, it's going to be what? Good. And if I have to say something to you about something, I'm coming what? It's a simple policy. It's not complicated. It's just something about people that just want to talk about people. And why am I bringing this up? I'm telling you this because someone who says, I'm born again, I'm spirit-filled, I'm going to heaven, I'm a child of God, and you talk about other people, what James is saying is your behavior is betraying your belief. Real believing Christians don't do that. I know what some of y'all are thinking. Pastor needs to preach this Sunday morning. that's where the whippersnappers, you know, show up that really, <laughs> really need to hear this. No, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise that James would say something like that. You're, you're tearing people up with your mouth and while you're professing Christ. And what James is really saying is, because of what you're doing, it's betraying your profession of faith. Christians talk a certain way, but one of the things they don't do is go around running everybody in the ground. That doesn't mean you can't deal with things. You can, according to Matthew 18. You can, according to Scripture. Somebody has an issue with you or you with them, you go to them. But why is it that so many people are willing to talk to everybody else but the person they have a problem with? Now, you know what James is saying? You're not acting like a Christian. Say it with me. Christians... Don't do, that. don't do that. Real believers, Real believers. Don't, do that. don't do that. Ouch. 
<laughs> Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Going to hell, every one of you, aren't you? You're just going to hell. James says so, you're going to hell. <laughs> Pastor didn't say so. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, but we just need to get a hold of this. That if we're going to talk about supernatural increase, come on. How I many you still want to see supernatural increase in your life, in every area of life? Uh, this is something the Lord showed me a long time ago, but I've watched this. People that misuse their mouth do not supernaturally increase. You're not following your belief with action, the correct action. You're literally talking yourself out of God's best. Yes, you can, you can talk ugly about people, misuse your mouth, and then your breakthrough, your harvest be delayed, your blessing be blocked, and it's, it's tied directly to what you're doing with your mouth. Some people are literally talking themselves out of increase. Yeah, but I sold. Yeah, but I tithe. Yeah, but I'm doing this. Yeah, but are you doing the fundamentals of the strong foundation things like James is talking about, keeping a tight rein on your mouth? Nobody else can do it. You know what a tight rein is? It's tight. That make sense? And the horse isn't going to the right or to the left. And the horse is only going the speed that I allow it to go. I am in control. I am the master over that animal. Look at somebody say tight rein. The second broad stroke that he makes is a thing called compassion. Demonstrating compassion for those that are in need, for the hurting. What does compassion actually mean to us? It means that we're actually moved to do something. Um, loving in your heart, that's wonderful. Feeling warm fuzzies about the plight of certain people or you know, circumstances or situations. You know, having compassion for the uh, abortion of the, un, you know, the unborn, having compassion for the Jews and former Soviet republics that are starving to death, having compassion for people who don't have a bed to sleep on. It's all great to have those feelings. But compassion is not feeling something for somebody. It's what? It's being moved to action, moved to mercy, moved to forgiveness. If we're not operating in compassion, and two examples he gives are obviously the orphans, because that makes a lot of sense to us. They need our help. And, and widows who are widows indeed. In other words, they're not, you know, remarried, that kind of a thing, and they're really in trouble. And there are just hundreds of thousands of those little ladies all over the world who have a Jewish heritage, and they need help. And you're doing it as a church right now. And you're welcome to give towards that ministry, and we'll afford what you give. And, but we're getting, you know, letters and correspondence back from the international president and the church liaison from, you know, the Jews and Christian Fellowship just thanking us for what we're doing our part in that, and you're making a difference in that. I want you just to understand this, that you're moved to do something. Anybody can feel compassion or feel sorry for somebody. We're not asking you to feel sorry for people. We're asking you to line up what James is actually saying, and James is do something about it. Uh, we could talk all day long about the plight of those in, in addiction, but with CR, what are we doing? Doing something about it. Actually putting some, some movement to the, the need that's there. And now we can't take care of every single situation, but I can tell you this, a lot of people have been forever changed. Amen. They're changed, their families are changed, their kids are changed because they ran across that ministry or other ministries like it. It's being moved to action. It's being moved to mercy. Say mercy. It's being moved to forgiveness. This is where you have some problems in the body of Christ. I mean, you know, everybody likes mercy for themselves. Amen. I mean, when we blow it, we want to be viewed and treated with what? With mercy. But you'd be amazed how many people have been treated with mercy, but the first time somebody does something they don't like, the mercy is gone. What would James say about that? If you're a real believer, you'd have compassion. You'd be moved to what? To mercy, not to make it harder on that person, but to do what mercy does, is alleviate the, the distress that's on their life. Well, they deserve it. Careful. Because if you go around spouting they deserve it, then you're going to have to what? Suck it up and get what you deserve. If you want to pull back the mercy towards others, be careful. You'll be pulling back the mercy on your own life. I didn't make that up. That's how Jesus dealt with a servant who what? Who was forgiven much, 
but would not forgive someone a very small amount. That's the message. And I mean, that's a powerful scripture because it implies that all of the debt of that man was suddenly restored to him. A debt that he could never pay. How prevalent is it? I can't even count the number of people I've run across in ministry as a pastor who have been given great mercy but gave very little mercy to others when it was most needed. You know what James would say about that? That betrays their confession of faith. Watch this. These three broad areas actually betray our spoken confession of faith. Amen. We believe, and yet it's not being backed up with Bible action. You know what happens to us if we're, if we're really on the right track? The mercy and forgiveness given to us makes us extremely merciful and forgiving towards others. That's a good place to say amen, oh me. Raise your hand if you need mercy. Right. You know you're on the right track when you're just this very merciful person. Well, I don't want to be gullible and, and taken in and bamboozled and conned. You have the Holy Ghost. You're not going to be. Give, give the Holy Ghost more credit than that. Does that make sense? No. You, if you're going to make an, if you're going to err, err on the side of what? On mercy. Amen. Be that person that is known for being merciful instead of being judgmental. The Bible says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Now we're talking about supernatural increase here. Uh, it's no surprise that the very merciful people and gracious people are the ones that will be in the front line to, to actually increase. It's when you become unmerciful, you are not moved with compassion to act or moved to mercy or moved to forgiveness. That's a problem that betrays our spoken confession of faith. People are going to rub you the wrong way. Amen. People are going to do things you don't like. Sometimes people take advantage of you. Sometimes people actually, you know, do things that are, that are really, really wrong and harm. They'll withhold things that they owe you. They'll, they'll say one thing and then do another. What's your job? That just depends on how you want your, you know, your witness to be. It depends on how, you know, much of this supernatural increase you, you want to, to operate in. Blessed are what? Blessed are what? Mercy. Bible never says blessed are those that withhold mercy. Blessed are those who are too wise to give mercy just in case somebody takes advantage of them. I won't fall for that because I'm smarter than you. Bible didn't say that. Say with me, blessed are the are the merciful. In Jesus' ministry, just to give you an example of how important it is to walk in compassion. Uh, go along in uh, Matthew for a moment. Let's look at some of these scriptures. They're all right kind of order here. Say it again. Blessed are the merciful. Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, how many know Jesus didn't just observe this and then make a declaration? I have compassion on you now. Go your way, little flock. No. Go over to uh, Matthew 14 for a moment. Matthew 14. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and said, have a good night. Oh, what, what happened here? Move to compassion is not feeling. What does it say? Move with compassion. He healed their sick. Move to compassion is not just acknowledging a need or feeling sorry for somebody. It's where you are moved to actual action. Go to chapter 15. Chapter 15. Verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. 
I don't want to send them away hungry. They may collapse on the way. You see this. So what do they do? They take the seed and Jesus does something with that. What do you see here is compassion being the fuel that precipitates supernatural increase. All these people are being ministered to. This is not a spiritual need. All the religion out there that says Jesus doesn't care about anything but your spiritual needs, this scripture is not about a spiritual need. He'd been feeding them for three days spiritually. They were what? They were hungry. That's why Baptists and Pentecostals like to eat so much, because they get hungry. <laughs> it's completely carnal. It's completely natural. But he had what? Compassion. And I'm telling you that you think you've got to care about that. He has compassion for your light bill. He has compassion for your payments. He has compassion for your financial needs. He has compassion for your natural needs. This Jesus who is detached, who doesn't care about the natural things of man, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a man-made Jesus where someone just said he doesn't care about nothing but spiritual and getting into heaven. Well, guess what? A lot of people that are saved don't go to heaven immediately. Have you noticed that? I've met some that probably should. Amen. Get him saved, baptize the Holy Ghost, dunk him, and Lord take him out now. Amen. So before they can mess it up, <laughs> go on with you. This is completely natural, and yet he has what? So when you say that he doesn't care about that stuff, no, you... You don't want to slip over into a man-made concept called social justice because man is incapable of producing the justice at the level God would have you produce. You will never do it. I don't care how woke people say they are or how much they emphasize social justice. You and I are not in the social justice business. We're in the spiritual justice business. And the only way to really help people is to get them hooked up with Jesus, get them on the Word of God, amen, Flowing as the body of Christ in compassion. That's how this works. That's why around the world, the hospitals and the feeding centers and the clothing distribution centers, you know what 99% of them are? They're birthed out of Christianity. Amen. Out of what? Out of doing more than just feeling for a need. A pastor had a feeling for the people of Cuenca, Ecuador, and for the surrounding villages and throughout the, the, uh, the jungle area, and particularly if you were a, a parent in that area, you could either pay for an expensive parochial school, which is for the privilege, or you could get them in a Catholic school, but that was about it. And they had a, a, an unction, a feeling they wanted to educate the kids. By the time I got to actually go down to Cuenca and see the thing, there were already up to 1,500 people in that church. Wasn't that old? And now out of that compassion have come over 1,000 churches and preaching points in Ecuador. And one of your missionaries, Dave Thomas, is down there right now in Guayaquil leading the only non-Catholic Bible college in the nation right now. All this fruit came from what? Compassion. Well, we're just down here to save your little souls. Well, guess what? They all get saved. From kindergarten to the end what we would call 12th grade, they've got a lot of opportunity to lead these kids to Jesus. And guess what they do? They do. And guess where a lot of those kids went? Out to mission field, out to the jungles, out to other places, establishing preaching points. Because they did what? They had compassion to do something about it. God cares about even the natural things in your life. Come on, say, God cares, has compassion for the natural things in my life. And somebody says that they're so super spiritual, God doesn't care about that stuff. No, they're just, they just got it wrong. And what I mean by that is Jesus just doesn't feel for you a feeling. He does something about it. Amen. Glory to God. That's what it means when the scripture says in Luke 4, he preaches the gospel to the poor. Well, at least the poor can go to heaven. That's what that means. No. It means he's going to take care of them on this earth and one day take them to heaven. That's what it means. Say it with me, compassion. Just a couple more of these. Go to Matthew 20. 
Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and said, Good night. No. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Compassion means move to action, move to mercy, move to forgiveness. And just uh, one more over here, Matthew 23, let every word be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Even for the nation itself, even for the city itself, in verse 27, or rather 37 to verse 20, chapter 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not what? Willing. Is it possible that sometimes people can refuse his compassion? Yes. Because it comes with a thing called lordship, and it comes with certain standards, and and expectations for behavior and belief, but that's your Lord. He's filled with what? Compassion. So what should his people be filled with? Let me help you out here. You know, you're, you're sitting home minding your own business and a commercial comes on for Satan Jude and it touches your heart. Why isn't that nice? Lord, I, I sure hope they can find a cure for childhood cancer. If your heart's being touched, guess what your heart's being touched to do? Act. Amen. If you're in a missionary service and God's speaking to you about the plight of the people that are being targeted for ministry, you know, moved by what? Watch this. Moved with compassion, the scripture says of Jesus, over and over and over again, moved to actually do something about it. Write this down. John Osteen said this. He got this by revelation from the Spirit of God. He called this the divine flow of love. Notice the word usage here, divine flow of love. So where is it coming from? It's coming from God. It's a deity, and it's flowing from God to us. That unction for you to call, to write, to email, to text, to pay somebody's dinner, you know, buy their groceries, give them you know, uh, some kind of, you know, see, give them some kind of offering. I, I, lots of times when people come up to me and they'll say, you know, I was just minding my own business and there is, you know, five $100 bills in an envelope on my car outside. And I don't know, having an idea where it came from. Or they'll say somebody slipped them a check or did this or did that. that. Those are perfect examples of divine flow of love. But sometimes that divine flow gets to us and it's stopped up. Yeah. I want you to know that it's a great honor for that divine flow to hit you. It's a privilege for that divine flow to come from God himself and flow to you. What God wants you to do is let it keep on flowing to touch somebody else. Uh, he can tell you, you know, he can just prompt you and, and not give you very specific direction, or he can give you very specific direction about what to do with that divine flow. Now watch this. The more you yield to that, the more that flow is going to happen in your life. The more you listen to what he says, the more God is going to use you to touch people's lives. You're going to act. You're going to be moved with compassion. What can you expect? Supernatural increase, miracles, signs, and wonders. Who here wants to see more miracles, not less? More supernatural acts happen. It happens through this movement of compassion. I believe when Peter and John went up to the Temple Gate Beautiful, they always saw him there, but that particular day they had what? Great compassion for him. This is, this is enough. Enough is enough. Let's, let's get this guy healed. Let's, let's see something happen. And he thought he was going to get something what? The move to compassion would include what people did for him probably every single day of his life. If it didn't work, he wouldn't have been there. But that day, he was going to get through compassion what he really needed. And what did Peter say? But such as I have, I possess. No apologies. You notice Peter didn't say, I don't want to say that I'm going to bring healing. I'm not the healer. This big long diatribe about how he's not Jesus. He just simply said what? Such as I have the authority, right, and the power. Rise and what? Rise and walk. And he did. But again, compassion. You go through the scriptures, you're going to see this time and time and time again that compassion 
is exactly what James was talking about. And if we are going to flow, if we are going to see supernatural increase, we're going to have to respond to that positively and not pretend like it was a devil talking to us. Write this down. The devil will never prompt you to respond in compassion. That's not going to happen. Give thee behind me, devil. That's not going to happen. That is God prompting you. That is the divine flow of love. Turn to somebody and tell them, keep it flowing. Come on, tell them, don't stop up the flow. Hallelujah. And it's not always about some financial thing. You know, a lot of people could be right now between life and death, and your powerful, loving, kind words could throw them over the top. Amen. A lot of testimonies of people in the body of Christ are going to throw their lives away, but somebody crossed their path, even strangers, with a word from God. One of my favorite stories is Milan Lefebvre was told he had heart disease. He was not going to live very much longer after that report. And, uh, you know, he's crying out to God, but basically he's thinking this is the end for him. And he's just minding his own business one day. And, and he comes across this woman on a beach, I believe it was either Padre Island or Galveston. I can't remember which one it was, but this woman of God swung around and pointed to him. First they walked past him and they walked back to him. And by say compassion is being what? Moved with compassion and swung around not knowing this person from Adam, pointed at him and said, you will not die but live and proclaim the glory of God. You will preach and teach the word of God all over the world. And Milan Lefebvre, who was given a death sentence, went back and he was told he had the heart like of a 17 or 18-year-old. Um, I know that he got a preaching and teaching anointing because we had him in Hopkinsville and my landlord came to that particular event, and my landlord left after he was preaching for two hours, and he was still going. And you thought I was long-winded. <laughs> he just preached, and he just taught, and he just taught, and he just taught. And now he has a, uh, he has a program on, uh, on the Victory Channel, and he and his wife go all over the world to very nice locations, and they do the Bible study. He's literally teaching the Word of God all over the world. One word from God. They'll never come out of our mouth if we don't let God use us, if we don't respond in compassion and speak those things. Sometimes they can be corrected, but oftentimes they can be the difference between life and death for people. The very thing she said came to pass in his life. To the T. Amen. The divine flow of love oftentimes will involve communication, life-giving word to people when they're most desperate to receive it. Say to me, I'm a, I'm a believer if I control my tongue and I operate in compassion. And number three, I'm going to make you wait till next week for that one. Because I can't cover this one in two minutes. <laughs> did you get a hold of this today? I said, did you get a hold of this today? Amen. So what are you supposed to do? Keep a tight ring. Because that's what real believers do. And walk in compassion, because that's what believers do. And when you and I have been the benefactors of such great mercy, God help us if we ever stop being merciful to others. Amen? In fact, you're, you're a healthy believer if you're a merciful one. Don't let life have a way of causing you to be hard and, you know, judgmental and tough with people. Stay pliable. Stay soft in your heart. That honors God. Raise your hand if God's ever come to you with mercy. Can you remember what he did? Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, Pam remembers what he did. Yes, amen. <laughs> Everybody say, thank God. They're pointing at each other. Hallelujah. Everybody say, thank God for mercy. Where would any of us be? Amen. Let's give him a big hand clap and thank him tonight.